In the name of Jesus, amen. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, a good storyteller does more than just lay out the bullet points of what happened. He brings the narrative to life. He makes the characters real. Telling the story is not just about facts. It's how you present them. It's about intention, perspective, drama, and excitement. And so a truly great storyteller starts with the facts and never changes them. But by the time he is done with the story, it becomes precious to us. You can see where the facts actually connect to each other, to life. To us, there is power in a good story. It can be used for good to teach, maybe even save. But it can also manipulate. It's called spin. Election coming. Get used to spin. But all of us do it. We tell ourselves stories that take the facts, but Bury them underneath something else until the something else seems bigger. We spin, and so I am not proud or arrogant. I have high self-esteem. That's good. I'm not argumentative or disrespectful. I'm passionate, and I have high standards. I'm not greedy. I'm careful with money. I am financially discerned. Look at all the ways we explain away our sin. That's how we think. Find the right story to make things look how we want them to, even if it's all upside down. Sin that is dressed up to look like virtue and not vice. And it is so ingrained into us that, of course, nobody understands why they might end up in hell. It goes against the story they tell themselves. Just don't seem fair. But if we're going to be honest, fair would be being judged by the facts, not just how we spin them. And so the facts of the story today, there's a rich man who does great for himself. It's not a sin. Wears nice clothes. Not a sin. Eats good food. Not a sin. God gives daily bread. He himself gave those things to the rich man. Where else would you think they come from? They're blessings. But the rich man ignores Lazarus, his neighbor in need. That's a sin. This isn't a call to split his money in half with Lazarus, just to help. I mean, all Lazarus really wanted were the scraps that fell from the table. But to greed, nothing can be spared. Just in case. I'm financially discerning, after all. And, you know, wouldn't God take care of Lazarus? So, why worry? I mean, never mind that the God who works only through means might actually want to help Lazarus through the rich man. He didn't give a single thought for his neighbor right at his gate until he found himself tormented in Hades and needing something from him. Under the stories that we spin ourselves, it's not so unfamiliar. We overlook the people in need. We come up with all kinds of reasons why it was prudent to do it at the time. And it's easier. 
If we just spin the story to ignore all that and say, you know, rich people go to hell, poor people go to heaven, there's karma or something, we will find a way to tell the story so that the man who had nice things, which is not a sin, was damned by them and not by the things that were his sin. That way, when we have sins, we don't have to be afraid of them. And after all, that poor man was saved simply because there was somebody who had more than him. Not that any of us could relate to coveting, because, you know, that'd be a sin too. The rich man didn't end up in hell for being rich. He didn't just sort of like use up all his Jesus points too soon on stuff instead of saving them. He sinned. He ignored his neighbor in need. And this is the weight of sin. His sin, your sin, and mine too. Our selfishness, our desire to spin everything, to make ourselves look good. It has a price. Hell is real. And as much as we try to reason it away or ignore it or downplay it, there is such a thing. An eternal torment. A separation from God. A burning pain. And an unanswered longing. It's the wages of sin. And this man was punished for his. But Lazarus was not saved just by being poor. He didn't earn or suffer his way into the loving arms of Abraham. I don't know what Lazarus's sins were, but I know his ancestors. Adam, Eve. He was born into the same sin you and I are. For all the rich man has, I know his sins. For all the poor man lacks, his are kept from us. And it's not because of wealth or a lack of it. Something simpler. You see, the poor man had one thing the rich man was never given. The poor man had a name. Lazarus. It means God has helped. There are no more sins for Lazarus. God took them. Bore them on a cross helped, saved. That's the only difference. You can try and spin the story however you want. It might look fine to the world, but the lies you tell yourself cannot save. But they don't need to. All it ever took was a name. God has helped. He gives you this name too. You are baptized into the very name of God. You are given God's name. You are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God has helped you because the baptism that he gives you has power. Baptism now saves you. For as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. God gives his name to you in such a potent way that it will rip you from the very gates of hell and save you from your sins, save you from the lies you tell yourself, save you from the torment that awaits sinners. For our Lord has come into this world to bear that sin for you. He gives his name only to sinners, to me, to you, to save us from it. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. This name that is given to Lazarus is the only difference between heaven and hell, not wealth, not works. Because God does not deal with us according to those things, not even according to how we spin the story or even according to what's fair. Our God just helps sinners. 
saves Lazarus, saves you. That's our religion. Help for sinners. Christ took on human flesh to be that help. He was rich beyond all measure. God himself in the majesties of heaven and put aside his glory to become the poor man, to suffer outside of the gate and die upon a cross for you and for me, that we would wear his most precious gift, his saving name. That is yours now. Your sins are forgiven you, your selfishness, your spin. You are saved, and your future is resurrection, a new and perfect body that will no longer suffer the wages of sin, that will no longer suffer the torment of evil or pain or age or sickness or death. You are saved because you are baptized, and so on the last day, you will rise from the dead even as the prophets have promised. You won't be able to measure your salvation in any other way. Not by what you accomplish, not by who you help, not by the stories you tell, but by wearing that name that God gives you. There, you won't be able to measure your condemnation either. All of your sin is carried by Jesus. All of it. You measure it in what God has given you. You were baptized. You are saved. God has helped you. So you can speak honestly about sin now because God saves sinners. You don't have to spin it anymore. Our story is the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, not just bullet point facts, but a narrative, a life-giving story of the God who came into this world to pour out his life for you to save yours. And it is so real and so powerful that it binds wounds and it heals sores and it forgives sins and it eases pain and it raises the dead and it gives life to those who deserve death. Life isn't fair. There is no such thing as karma. We're not saved by earning points. We're not punished by having too much. Karma is the opposite of the cross. Karma means you get what you deserve. But the cross is not about what's fair. Jesus did nothing wrong and was punished for your sins. What's fair about that? The cross is about love. He sacrificed himself for you because he would rather suffer than see you do it. You are saved because Jesus has died for you. Because you are baptized, all your sins are forgiven, and the blessings of the kingdom of heaven are yours. So thank God life isn't fair. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds until life everlasting. Amen.